As we begin our message today, we're starting a new series, and to begin this series, I want to ask you a question. How would you describe what the kingdom looks like? Now, that's a fairly weighty question, because what's the kingdom? Our understanding of the kingdom is that the kingdom is life the way that God designed it to be. So you might like to think about this question this way. How would you describe life the way that God created it to be? If you had a friend or a neighbour, someone from school or uni or work, who said to you, you're someone who follows Jesus, like how, how would you describe what life the way that God created it is supposed to be like? What would you answer? It's a pretty challenging question when we think about it. And the reality is, this is one of the key things that Jesus talked about throughout his teaching while he was here on earth. He spent a lot of time trying to help people to understand what the kingdom is like. And in particular, he used these amazing ancient storytelling techniques that were called parables. Now, parables are stories that have a greater level of meaning underneath them. So they're really awesome uh, stories on the surface, but then underneath, they've got all these extra added layers of meaning. And Jesus used them as a way of being able to describe what the kingdom is like. He gave us all these awesome stories and pictures to say, this is what the kingdom is like. This is the way that life is supposed to be. So we're going to spend the next few weeks digging into exactly that question using some of these parables that Jesus gave us. So if you're teaching notes inside of your Connect newsletter, you can uh, grab that and drop some things down as we go through today's message if that's helpful for you. And if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 18 because that's where we're going to spend some time. And today our focus is particularly on what forgiveness looks like in the kingdom. So to wrestle with the question, what does forgiveness look like the way that God created it to be? Because all of us, I think, desire forgiveness in our lives. All of us want to be released from the burdens of the mistakes that we make, the things that we get wrong, the times when we're not our best selves. All of us want other people to give us the benefit of the doubt and to say, I forgive you for that. I know that that was just you not operating at your best. But the challenge for us is whether we have that same desire for other people. Do we have the same desire to release other people from the mistakes that they make and from the burdens that they carry and the times when they're not at their best? And so Jesus uses this parable that we're going to dig into today to explore what that's like. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, begins with Peter coming up to Jesus and asking him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, you might wonder why it is that Peter picked the number seven. It's an interesting number to pick. It's like just, uh, what about seven? Peter would have known that uh, Jewish teaching said that you need to forgive someone three times. So that was the expectation, and then you were fulfilling the law. If someone hurt you, three times you forgive them, and that's it. So you can imagine Peter's thought process. He's like, if I double that and then add a little bit more, that's pretty generous, Jesus, right? And you can imagine he was kind of like... I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How many times do we need to forgive someone? How about seven? That's a pretty great answer, isn't it, Jesus? Well, Jesus replies and he says, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And some translations have 77 times, others say 70 times seven. And the reality is that Jesus wasn't using a specific number here, but he was really talking about an unlimited number of times. The number seven in a biblical context is the perfect number. And we've talked many times before about how the word perfect in the Bible can be understood as complete. Something that's perfect is something that's complete. So when Jesus says either 77 or 70 times seven, 
He's really saying, you need to forgive people completely, completely. That's how many times you need to forgive. Completely, perfectly, completely, forgiven, uh, completely, completely. An unlimited number of times. There's no fixed number that you can attach to this, Peter. You need to just keep on forgiving. So you can imagine Peter's response at this point and the look on his face. He thought he was so clever. And then Jesus says, ah, not quite. And you can also imagine the other people who were standing around in the crowd who were kind of like, whoa, whoa, that's a bit harsh, Jesus. What are you saying? And so Jesus then tells this story to help Peter and everyone else who's listening to understand what forgiveness looks like in the kingdom, what forgiveness looks like when things are God's way. Verse 23 Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that everything be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So you can picture this scene. There's this king who brings in his accountant, says, okay, time to go through the books. Who owes us some money? Who's in debt to us? And so they start going through their accounts and then they find this guy who owes them a very, very significant amount of money. Now, our translation says that he owes millions of dollars. In the original translation, was actually 10,000 talents is the amount that this man owed. And that's important because there's some things that are going on there. A talent was the largest denomination in Jesus' time. So for us, we have $100 notes. That's our biggest denomination. For them, they had talents. And 10,000 was actually the biggest number that anyone thought you would ever use in a monetary context. This number is so big that no one thought you would go beyond 10,000 talents. Now, to give us a bit of perspective on what this looks like, King Herod, who was the king at this time of this massive region, his annual income from all the taxes that he did around the place was six to eight hundred talents per year. So put that in perspective. This guy owes 10,000 talents. King Herod on any given year would get six to eight hundred talents from the whole group of people that was around. Most people have said that this isn't millions of dollars. In reality, this is probably billions and billions of dollars that this man owes. Again, what Jesus is really saying is this man had an unlimited debt that he had no way of paying off. He could work his whole life and there was no way he was going to pay this debt off. So the king says, well, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell your kids, I'm going to sell your house, all the stuff that you've got, everything to recoup some of the debt. Now, if you were this person, how would you respond to that? you would probably start begging and say, no, no, is there anything that we can do? And sure enough, that's what Jesus says. In verse 26, the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Now, that's a pretty ridiculous thing to say. There's no way, as we've said, that he's going to be able to pay this off. But he gets down on his knees, he pleads with the king, he says, please, please, don't sell me. Don't sell my wife and my kids. Please don't sell my stuff. I'll do anything that you want Just let me give me another chance to be able to pay this huge debt off. Now, what would you expect at this point? Many of us know this parable, so just pretend that you don't. At this point, when Jesus is telling this story, what would you expect that the king would say? We would expect that he would probably say one of two things. 
If he was a harsh king, he would say, no, too bad. Like, you owe me so much money, I don't care about your begging and your pleading. There's no way you're paying this off, so I'm going to get back what I can. So off you go. Go and sell him, sell all his stuff, that's it. It's over. Even if he was a really generous king, what we would expect is that he would probably say, all right, I will give you another chance. But the reality is you and your family are going to work for me for the rest of your lives and you're going to work real hard. And everything that you earn is mine. It's all coming back to me. We are going to sell some of your stuff, but at the end of the day, that's me being really, really generous. That's what we would probably expect. And even that would have been a bit of a shocking thing if that's what Jesus has said. But Jesus actually says this in verse 27. His master was filled with pity for the man and released him and forgave his debt. Just think about this. Billions of dollars worth of debt, an unlimited amount of money that he could never pay off. And what does the king do? He clears it. He forgives the whole lot, all of it. This man gets to go free. There's no implication of, oh, and you better keep working or you still owe a little bit or anything. He just says, no, okay, it's over. Let's clear the decks. You're forgiven completely. Away you go. That's astounding when you stop and think about it. But what's even more mind-blowing is that Jesus is telling this parable, as he does with all the parables, as we said at the start, to help us catch a glimpse of what the kingdom is like. The whole reason Jesus is telling this story is to say to Peter and everyone else who's listening, that's what God's like. It doesn't matter about the debt that you rack up. It doesn't matter about how much you owe. God forgives you completely, fully. You're released. It's all done. You are forgiven for all of it. That's staggering when you think about our relationship with God and the implications of it. So the challenge is, what do we do with that? If we were treated this way, how would we respond? And again, pretend you don't know what the rest of the story is. What would you expect this servant to do? Having just had this mountainous debt that he couldn't pay off, released, completely set free, what would you expect him to do? Run out into the streets, shouting with joy, arms in the air, it's incredible, and spend the rest of his life living with complete generosity in every relationship that he's got. That he's got. You would expect that that's the way that he would respond to this awesome thing that's been done for him. Well, this is where Jesus is a genius storyteller because he throws in yet another twist into the parable. In verse 28, he says, But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant that owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So a little bit more context here. The debt that this man had, we're told, is a few thousand dollars. Again, original context, it was actually a hundred denarii. And a denarii was one day's wages. So really, this is like three and a bit months worth of wages that this man owed. And what does he say to this man who's coming after him for his debt? This person says actually exactly the same words. He pleads with this guy and he says, be patient with me and I will pay it. So what's the response of this guy? I've just had this incredible experience where the king has set me free from my debt. So of course, I'm going to forgive you. 
No, he grabs him by the throat. He chokes him and he says, no, you're going to jail. Throws him in prison until he can pay the debt off. Now, don't let those two pictures get missed in your mind to understand what Jesus is explaining here. This is what the king's done for this guy. The very next person that he sees, what does he do? Nothing. He throws him in jail, chokes him and says, no, you're paying this money off no matter what happens. So this is where Jesus is really challenging us to say, what do we do with what God has done for us? It's a very famous line, forgive and forget. And that's the reality of what this guy's done. He's been forgiven and he has 100% forgotten and he has moved on with his life. What do we do? Do we forget what God has done for us in the way that we treat other people and in our interactions with others? Well, Jesus continues in verse 31, and he says, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he'd forgiven. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison and tortured him to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Bit of a turnaround of events here. Drags him back in and says, okay, here's what's going to happen to you then. Off you go to jail and you're going to be tortured until you pay this off, which is actually not something that's possible. Remember what the debt was? There's no way that that can actually happen. Jesus is really challenging us to recognise that if we haven't made the choice to pass on forgiveness to others, it means that we haven't really experienced forgiveness ourselves. If we're not willing to forgive other people, it shows that we haven't really understood all that God has done for us. And Jesus actually takes that a bit further in verse 35 in some words that are pretty challenging. He says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is a bit challenging. Is this what God is like? That if we choose not to forgive others, then God is going to withdraw his forgiveness from us? And God is going to throw us in jail and torture us because we don't do what he's done for us. So why it's so important always to remember the context of what we're reading. And the context of this parable is Peter asking this question, how many times do I need to forgive? And Jesus' answer was, you need to forgive completely, completely, an unlimited number of times. Just continue to forgive. And Jesus uses these extreme examples, which is a part of using parables, is to use real extreme life examples to show the implications of what happens if God was to treat us the way that we often choose to treat other people. If God was to treat us the way that we go about our lives and the way that we interact with others and what we do to other people, there would be some pretty severe implications of that. The challenge for us is to recognise that our focus is on reflecting what God has done for us and passing that on to others, not the other way around. God doesn't reflect what we're like, and this parable reminds us that it's just as well, that that's the case. God forgives us completely, completely, so we should forgive others completely, completely as well. Now, it is good to note that if we choose not to forgive, 
then that can actually cause a sense of imprisonment for us. It can actually create a sense of us feeling tortured inside. And Jesus is leaning into that a little bit in what he's saying here. That when we choose to withhold forgiveness from others, we do actually experience a sense of being locked in. We do actually experience a sense of tension inside of us. But as we explored in our Q&A questions a few weeks ago, that's not because God is stopping us from experiencing that. That's our own choices. We're the ones who are making decisions to say we're not willing to forgive and that has implications for us. But we can forgive at any moment and be able to receive the peace that God wants for us. So with each of these parables each week, we're going to take some time to say, so let's come back to this question about what's the kingdom like? And most importantly, what does kingdom living look like? What does it look like for us to live the way that God wants us to live? And the first thing for us to wrestle with is if it's true that God does forgive us completely with no strings attached, does it mean that we can do whatever we want? It's a question that's been going on for a very, very long time and that the church at times has had a hard time being able to answer. Because sometimes we struggle a little bit to say, hold on a minute, if God's completely forgiven me and I don't have to do anything in return, doesn't that mean I can just get away with anything? I can do whatever I want. Now, we want to recognise that we are not forgiven because of what we do. We are not forgiven because we work hard enough, because we're good enough, because we measure up enough, because we've done enough to somehow be able to earn the forgiveness that God offers to us. God is the king in the parable, who because of his generosity and mercy, extends full, complete forgiveness to us because of Jesus. That's what we'll take some time to reflect on in a few moments around the communion table. We are forgiven because of Jesus. End of story. There are no caveats. There's no ifs, ands or buts. We are forgiven. Does that mean that we can do whatever we want? Well, technically, yes. But the challenge for us is to say, if we do, that's not kingdom living. Living however we want, doing whatever we want and causing harm to others is not living the way that God wants us to be able to live. Kingdom living is about us taking what Jesus has passed on to us and passing that on to others. Is that easy? No, it's not. It's really, really hard. What Jesus is saying here is incredibly difficult. And I'm sure each one of us have got examples in our minds to say, but surely Jesus doesn't mean forgive completely, completely that person. Surely Jesus doesn't mean forgive completely, completely that situation that happened to me. There are lots of times when we find it very difficult to forgive, when people have harmed us physically, emotionally, spiritually, when people seem to succeed at our expense, when we find out that people are talking about us behind our backs or doing things behind our backs, it's really, really hard. And I'm sure every one of us have got an example, a tangible example, where it's like, oh, forgiving that person, that's a little bit challenging. But as we've talked about a number of times before, Jesus calls us to forgive completely, completely, but that is different to rebuilding trust and to pursuing reconciliation. And when we mix all those things together, that's when things get really, really hard for us. Our belief, based on what Jesus says here and in other places, is that we are called to forgive 100% of the time. 
But that is very different to rebuilding trust with someone who's hurt us. That if someone hurts us, it's appropriate that it should take time to rebuild trust and that trust may not be granted, especially in some situations. And reconciliation in relationships is something that we would love to strive for, but sometimes because of what's happened, that's just not possible. And reconciliation actually means making peace that that relationship is finished. But reconciliation and rebuilding trust, they're very different things to offering forgiveness to someone else. Jesus calls us to forgive 100% of the time, completely, completely, and then to look at rebuilding trust and reconciliation as it's appropriate. The challenge for us is to say, are we willing to follow Jesus? In his example, who was willing to forgive completely, completely, and in his teaching, so that we can live as kingdom people. So I want to give you an opportunity to be able to do a little bit of reflecting on that and to think about what that looks like as we head into this week. And the question we're going to use to do that is, am I forgiving others the way I want to be forgiven? Am I forgiving others the way that I want to be forgiven? As I said at the beginning, all of us have this desire to be forgiven. All of us want to be released from the burdens that we carry, from the times that we mess up, times that we make mistakes, the times that we hurt people, the times when we're not at our best. All of us want to be given the benefit of the doubt to say you are forgiven for that. So this morning, we have the privilege of being able to be reminded that God does exactly that. That there is nothing that you've done that is unforgivable. There is nothing that you're going to do that's unforgivable. God forgives you completely, completely. No matter how big that debt is that you feel like you've piled up, No matter what that thing is that might be in your mind where it's like, oh, even this thing that I did, even this thing that I said, yes, God forgives you for all of it. 100% released. It's finished. So for some of us, that's actually the challenge, is for us to sit in that reality, to explore what that looks like and to recognise God holds nothing against us. We have been released. We have been set free. But for others of us, it is that challenge of then saying, well, if I understand just how much God's forgiven me, why would I not want to pass that on to others? The challenge is really to say, am I forgiving other people the way that I have been forgiven? And if there is a person or a situation that comes to mind for you, the challenge this week is to spend a bit of time with Jesus around that situation and to say, what is stopping me from offering forgiveness. It doesn't necessarily mean actually going up to that person and saying, I forgive you. Sometimes that's not appropriate. Jesus talks about forgiving in our hearts. Can we spend time with God to be able to say, help me to forgive that person. Help me to release that burden. Help me to forgive that situation that happened. To close the door on that and to be able to move on. As someone who's completely, completely forgiven, Help me to completely, completely forgive others. So I want to encourage you to take a bit of time to just jot something down wherever you're at in that or whatever else it might be that Jesus is saying to you this morning so that as you head into the rest of this week, you can take some more time to continue reflecting on that. So take some time, jot some thoughts down, talk to the person next to you. Am I forgiving others the way that I want to be forgiven? And then we'll come back and pray together and transition to communion.
Let's pray. Jesus today is such a great example of the complexity of the kingdom. That on the one hand, we are so inspired again about the reality of what the kingdom looks like. How amazing it is that because of you, we are people who are forgiven. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, your forgiveness for us is complete. We can now have a full, complete relationship with God because of what you've done for us. Not because we've earned it, not because we've managed to work out how to pay off our debts, but simply because of your love and your generosity and your mercy. So part of us wants to just celebrate that and say how amazing it is that we get to experience life the way that it's supposed to be, that that's the truth of what our relationship looks like with you. But on the other side, we're also challenged by what it looks like for us to live as kingdom people. That you know for each one of us the challenges that we face, the damage that's been done in relationships, the incidents that have happened to us that have hurt us in very, very significant ways. And you know how hard it is for us to choose to offer forgiveness. And so my prayer as we head into this week is that you would help us to sit in the tension of that to spend more time with you to understand just how forgiven we are, but also to wrestle with what it looks like for us to be able to release the debts of others. Our desire is to be like someone who has been forgiven this incredible debt by the king and then walks out and celebrates and lives the rest of our lives in generosity. We don't want to be people who forget the minute that we walk out of the room and then do damage to others. We want to be people who live as kingdom people, who live the way that we were created to live. So I pray that as we head into this week, that you would help us to be able to do that, as we wrestle with all the implications that come with it. In your name we pray. Amen.